0: Welcome to the RE Human Layer Security podcast, the show that flips the script on cybersecurity. I'm Tim Sadler, the CEO and co-founder of Tessian, and in each episode, I'll be interviewing IT and business leaders about why we need to protect people, not just machines and data, to stop breaches and empower businesses to achieve their missions. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the RE Human Layer Security Podcast with me, Tim Sadler. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Itumaleng Magati, Group Information Security Executive at Standard Bank Group, a leading bank in South Africa. Prior to joining Standard Bank, Itumaleng led the security team at CESOL, a global energy and chemicals company, where she held the title of CISO and prior to that, Global Head of Infrastructure Services, which saw her partnering with the company's CIO. With over two decades of experience in security and business consulting, Itumalang is a leading voice in the security space and has appeared on a number of top 100 CISO lists. We're delighted to welcome her to the show today. Welcome, Itumalang.
1: Thanks for that introduction, Tim. I'm pleased to be here and I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: It'd be great maybe if you could start off by giving an overview of your role and how did you get into the world of cybersecurity?
1: Okay, so uh, like you said, I'm currently a group executive looking after information security within Standard Bank, where I'm responsible for the definition creation, maintenance, and the actual provision of the group's cybersecurity services across all of our operations, 18 operations in Africa. And this is in alignment with the African banking giant's digital and information management vision and business strategy. So really just ensuring that everything that we do within the bank, we do in a secure way. So my, really my key focus areas are on security advisory across the business, cultural transformation, and ensuring that the bank is future ready from a technology capability perspective. <laughs> you ask an interesting question around how I got into security. So I'd say security found me, I didn't go looking for it. So I did study computer science and have a good understanding of technologies and capabilities, looking at ERP infrastructure, networking, data across all of the technology stacks through various roles that I've held uh, in the organizations that I've worked for in the the past two decades. But I've always been passionate about solving business problems through technology. And I happened to be in an, at an organization that needed to urgently solve the information risk across all of the business and create the right conversations at the right levels in the organizations. I then raised my hand to say, I'll tackle the information risk challenge at that point in time, as it didn't have any executive leadership. I'd say, then the rest is history. That's how I found myself knee-deep in cybersecurity, and I've never looked back.
0: And you work for one of the largest banks in in South Africa today. What are some of the biggest challenges that your teams are facing, and what's top of mind for you right now?
1: Tim, I'd say client experience is at the core of what we, we need to deliver as a bank. Over and above all of the services that we offer, we need to ensure that the experience that our customers have is top notch. Now, the challenge of having to balance client experience with security requirements is an ongoing challenge and always trying to find that middle ground where you're not creating too much friction for your clients when you're actually trying to secure them. This will will continue to be a challenge for us. Uh, Our clients want to know that they work with a bank that will secure their data. They also want to know that when they interface with our digital platforms, it will not be a difficult experience for them. Customers always want to have a choice. um, And if they don't get what they want, they will leave for a competitor. And that's a reality because it's become so much easier now, even with smaller banks coming up in the industry, for a customer to decide to switch to a different bank just purely based on the experience that they've had with our digital platforms. So really the goal is to make everything simpler for the customer. Uh, if you're now going to force customers to provide credentials and login details and biometrics and all sorts of things when they're trying to use your, your platform, that makes it difficult. So it's always a bit of a, a challenge when you when I work with product teams to ensure that as much as we build in good, good products, we do it in a secure way, but we also need to find the right balance that it doesn't become too difficult for clients. I would say that's a number one challenge that we, we're continuously trying to solve for.
0: And what's your <laughs> philosophy when you think about balancing security and end user friction?
1: We definitely have to look at what's best for the client and always put the client first. I know uh, typically a, someone who's wearing a security hat will say, I'll need to ensure that I make it as secure as possible. But then I also need to ensure that the solutions or the controls that are put in place will not create too much friction for the clients and not too many steps required for the clients to to say, log on to our environment. Or if they have forgotten their password, how do I quickly ensure that they're able to recover their password? And those are just uh, basic examples. So I still think, even from a security perspective, we need to be thinking about what the customer experience is going to be and find that middle ground without making it too difficult. I mean, we've seen that um, in the last two years with digital transformations being fast-tracked across different industries, and especially in the bank. We've seen that our customers that would usually go into a branch to, to do basic transactions have actually taken that step to move away from their comfort zone and have started engaging with our digital platforms because it, we've been required to social distance and, and all the good things we had to do that means we've got a new group of people that have now taken up on our digital platforms how do we still make it easy for them that they feel that they still get the same experience that they would have gotten if they were in a branch and they don't have a need to speak to a consultant they're able to transact in the most simple ways And those would be people that might not be necessarily as tech savvy as you'd want to be. It might be even the older generation that are still learning and understanding how do I do banking on my mobile phone? Um, How do I know that it's secure? You need to create that sense of comfort that it is just as secure as going into a branch and talking to a person that's able to explain everything that needs to be explained. So there's really been a shift and we need to ensure that the customer is still satisfied in whichever medium they choose to interact with the bank.
0: And where do you think the balance is right now? So, you know, for the average bank, where do you think the needle is on you know, being more secure and maybe having higher friction or maybe less secure, but having a better user experience? You know, where do you think the average bank is and where where do you think they need to get to in the next sort of five years?
1: I think where we are now, we're still focusing more on being Customer centric, and so we're becoming less secure in that sense. But there's a huge focus now, I'd say, in the next couple of years to ensure that we bring in the right technologies to make it easier for customers to use the environment. We are looking at possible bringing in passwordless solutions because it becomes that much more difficult if someone has to now remember their password every time they interact with, with the platform. How do we use facial recognition as an alternative to replace the password or other solutions? So it's really just looking at what technology is available to still give us the right security without creating the friction on the client side. We'll rather have the friction on the bank side trying to process and authenticate a user than having to have the client providing additional information to ensure that they are who they say they are when they use the platform so i'd still say there's still a, a long way to go in actually moving us to, towards a a good balance but right now it's still just about ensuring that the client is able to do what they need to do but security still needs to on the platform
0: now prior to joining standard bank you led security at SeSol, uh, which is a global energy and chemicals company um, how do the challenges and risks you experience in financial services today differ to the challenges you experienced in the energy and chemical manufacturing industry?
1: Mm. Interesting question, because they're very different industries, as much as security is security, but each industry will have their own risk profile and an approach and how they mitigate risk. If I think about it, I mean, in general, within security, we say security is responsible for ensuring confidentiality, integrity and availability of systems. And for a financial services business, confidentiality and integrity will be top of the the strategy in ensuring that we're able to, to secure the environment. Whereas in an energy business, which is really a production business, that Cecil is, that triangle will be turned upside down where availability becomes more important than confidentiality because uh, how the business gets measured is uh, on production volumes. Have you produced what needs to be produced? The plant is running 24-7. Hence uh, the challenge of saying if you want to say, push out a patch onto a system that runs in production, you need to bring the system down. It becomes very difficult to have that negotiation with the engineers because their priority is to ensure that the system is available 24-7 so that they're able to push out the production requirements. That would be one way in which I think about it, that the priority and the focus is different in the sense that, yes, different industries, but how you measure outputs in each of these industries is very different. A bank can have you can say by 5 p.m. our banking hours might be might be slower in the sense that we don't have as many transactions. Then you can start looking at pushing out certain changes. But in the production world, it is a 24-7 world and availability of the system is what matters the most.
0: They're both industries that, you know, they are these are critical pieces of infrastructure, banking infrastructure and then also manufacturing and chemicals and energy infrastructure. Um the thing at say i can imagine is that you were dealing though with the you know with the physical environment as well and how the um the systems that you were in charge of securing could actually have physical ramifications if things went went wrong and tell us a little bit about that challenge you know actually managing and maintaining the kind of physical security and safety based on the digital systems that are in place at the uh, organization. I guess that's something you probably don't have to think about or worry about in, uh, in banking right now.
1: Yeah, you're right, Tim. More so in the manufacturing industry, the physical security becomes more important. Uh, actually, at Sasol, there was a key KPI that was measured where there was zero tolerance for safety incidents in the plant. So if you had a piece of technology that we're implementing in the plant, it could be a a automation tool that you bring in to optimize the processes from a production perspective. If by any chance that piece of technology that you've implemented fails and it leads to loss of human life, you can imagine how big that get, that gets. And uh, even in the media, it's not acceptable that you would have had an incident like that, which is slightly different. Like you said, in banking, you don't have that risk to manage. So you need to think about if I implement something new, if I change my current process and I come up with a new technology that will run the plant, the worst case is that if it fails, you might end up with an explosion in the plant, and if there's an explosion, there are humans that are working in there that might get impacted. It gets that serious in a manufacturing plant. So those are just some of the things to think about. How do you still ensure that the writings of the plants are not impacted? But physically, as people coming in to clock in to say, I'm coming in for my shift, you know who's in the plant. You know what time they've left. You've got the right data collection, and that information remains critical in ensuring that you're able to manage the safety within the plant as well so that's really the difference that i would say the main difference between managing the risk in financial services versus a manufacturing plant
0: do you think that means the stakes are higher i mean i I guess of course it does if people's lives are impacted um but in finance you know the the risks are still pretty high as well how do you think about that risk trade-off and the role of security in managing risk
1: I wouldn't say one is higher than the other because even in in financial services, you still have major risks that you need to deal with. If uh, your customer has trusted you with their data, with their financial transactions, if anything was to to happen to the, say, someone hacks into an account and wipes it out and you haven't taken the necessary steps to protect them. How it might impact their livelihood. That might be their lifetime savings that they've put in an account and trusted Senate Bank to, to protect. So I guess it, I'd say it weighs the same in a different way that it might be different in a banking sense that yes, it might not be directly affecting a person's life in the sense that they lose their life, but it also impacts people's livelihoods. So those are the things that we need to think about when we, when we build our security capability and not just think of this huge bank, but think of that individual that fully relies on the bank to do the right thing for them. It is a trust conversation. It is a trust transaction that I'm giving you all this information. I'm giving you my savings. I'm giving you, or as a business, I run my business using Sfinet Bank infrastructure. So I expect you to partner with me and ensure that I'm able to do what I need to do. And on the CISL side, again, there's a different way of looking at it, but they're all relevant to the industry. They weigh the same. And the CISO then needs to ensure that the risk is managed in an effective way.
0: When you moved from uh, CISO to Standard Bank, it wasn't just a shift in industry away from the kind of physical security world to world, the digital security world, um, but also uh, Standard Bank were, like many organizations around the world, going to hybrid work or going to fully remote working because of the pandemic. How did you tackle this shift? You know, How did security change as a result of this shift to remote and hybrid working?
1: Mm. So I guess um, if you think about it, in, when we started with the remote working, it wasn't something that we had time to plan for at all for any organisation. Uh, pandemic came up and, you know, we had to make a plan on what needs to happen when people are going to work from home. Actually, when I think of it, how it started at the bank, I remember sitting in a meeting room where we said people need to go home and work remotely for two weeks because we need to flatten the curve. And we all understood that two weeks should be sufficient. But the two weeks ended up being two years, right? So it has really shifted how we, we do things. We really needed to move quickly, and how we provide the right security solutions for our employees from wherever they are. So employees really need to be able to connect from anywhere, from any device, at any time. And it became even more important to educate our users about being safe using technology from home, looking at things like setting up your home Wi-Fi in a secure way, how do you still ensure that you've got the right passwords, et cetera, so that your, your home network doesn't get hacked, Um, Thinking about if you are going to go and work from a coffee shop, are you going to use that free Wi-Fi that gets provided at a coffee shop? And how secure is it? Um, Providing guidance around that. Or just thinking around messaging from a remote worker perspective. What are some of the things that you need to be aware of? If you're sitting in a public area working from a, a coffee shop, how do you still ensure that no one is going to... Take your laptop and walk away with it. How do you keep it secure? Or no one is looking over your shoulder while you're working on sensitive sensitive information. So we needed to change our messaging from a cybersecurity awareness perspective on how we prepare users for remote working. Uh, Thinking about if you're going to print a document from home, who's going to have access to it. You still need to, to have a clean desk policy even when you're sitting at home so that you're very clear on where, where all your documents are if you're working on sensitive information. So those are just some of the things that we had to quickly think about. How do you empower people with the right knowledge but having the right technology to still enable them to connect from anywhere, on any device at any time?
0: And I guess what were the surprises through that transition for you and your teams, you know, what were the good surprises and what were the bad surprises that came out from a security perspective of <laughs> moving, moving to hybrid work or remote work?
1: Yeah, I, I guess we, we learned a lot about ourselves as IT as information security, as well as the business having to, to understand better how, how to access technology services. I mean, we, we joke about every home now being a mini data center we've had to become our own IT support in most cases where you don't have access to that IT support person that can help you with uh, small things in the office. Sometimes you had to figure it out yourself because you're sitting at home and there's no one available immediately to help with that. So we we really saw a shift from that perspective and people just trying to figure things out on their own in most cases before reaching out to IT to support. But people have been have been surprised at how resilient we are as humans. We find a way, we want to make things work. We, When we launch new technologies, we say, "Here, here's a new platform that you can use to collaborate. The uptake is just amazing. People are, are ready to take up new technology, to try new things, which is something that I would say we struggled with in, in IT for the longest time before 2020. You launch a new program, people take time to try it out because they don't see the need at that time. But in the last two years, we've seen how people were willing to just try new technologies, new tools. When you say, here's a new online tool that you can use to collaborate with your teams. The uptake was amazing because people were ready to see if they can find anything that will help to, to make things easier for them. Uh, but the usual habits around just that general housekeeping, ensuring that you refresh your passwords, you make them complex. We still needed to provide the right awareness and training and communication to the teams to ensure that they're able to do the right thing. Still providing awareness around how to store data, how not to put things on USBs that are not encrypted, etc. So those are just some of the things that really came out from my people and behavior perspective that I saw in the last two years.
0: I wanted to circle back on this point you raised about aligning cybersecurity with business strategy. There's an issue around cybersecurity and information security at being a board-level conversation, and you recently posted that CIOs only represent 5% of the global 500 board seats. I know this is something that's rapidly changing, and it would be great to just hear your opinion on this. What value does having a CIO or a CISO on the board, bring to an organization?
1: Yeah, I mean, we talk about, Tim, we talk about every business being a a digital business nowadays, and I cannot see how digital can be part of the core strategy in shifting the business forward, whether it's uh, growing the market or going into new business models without having the technology SME as part of that. Uh, having a seat at the table. So I do see that uh, information technology leaders are starting to get more and more of a seat at the table to advise on these specific things. Because really it's important that right at the beginning, as the strategy is being put together, that you have the right people in the room to be able to advise on the best way to move forward instead of bringing in technology later to then define what needs to be done. So there's definitely value in ensuring that you have the right people in the room and technology is a core player if you have a digital transformation strategy that you want to, to succeed on.
0: And what, in your opinion, can CIOs or CISOs do to prove that they should be at the table if they're facing that kind of uphill battle in their organization to you know, get them on board with this idea that, that it is a board level issue and there should be representation at the board?
1: Yeah, that's actually a very good question, Tim, because um, the role of the CIO of the CISO is really evolving, right? And it's no longer just about providing the required technologies to just run the business as a supporting function. It's becoming a key leader in the business that's a differentiator in how the business succeeds in the market. Therefore, a, a CIO needs to build the right business acumen They need to know the business and be a trusted advisor. It should no longer just be about ensuring that the network is is running and you have the right uptime. It's not just about ensuring that you're refreshing laptops when they need to be refreshed. Those things need to happen. But the leader within information technology needs to understand where the business needs to go and how then technology can enable that and have the right conversations with business leaders as an advisor on how that needs to happen. I also find that if you're able to show the art of the possible to the business with small wins, try out a few things in some of the business areas that are more willing to to bring in new technologies to show the value of technology across the business and play that back to the board, to the leaders in the business so that there's the right visibility. It tends to build momentum and create the right conversations and excitement in the business instead of just having a strategy and a plan on, on paper. Try out with small things, show what's possible, and play back to the business to create the right momentum. I'd say those are things that I've seen work with CIOs that have been successful in getting that seat within the board
0: for you. Itumaleng, thank you so much for your time today. We always finish up our interviews with a few quick questions to try and get to know the guests on the podcast a little bit better. My first question for you is, what do you think is the biggest misconception in cybersecurity? (laughs)
1: <laughs> right i think the the biggest misconception in cyber cybersecurity is that it is a man's work we know it's still very male dominated but i strongly believe that females can have a successful career in cybersecurity. gender is really not a factor in this space it is really about your ability to solve complex problems you know how to manage risks in a in a constantly changing environment. I mean, with the right skills, anyone can succeed in cybersecurity. It's definitely not just the men's world.
0: What one book would you recommend to our listeners? Sure. So
1: many come to mind. Uh, but I would say Talk Like Ted by Kamen Gallo is one of the uh, the key books that I always go back to. I've read it over the years and I always refer to it because it really emphasizes something that I I strongly believe in, where it says, if you do not know how to share your ideas with the world, you miss out on opportunities to really make a a difference. Ideas are effectively, if, if they are effectively packaged and delivered, they can change the world. Ideas are really the of the 21st century. So the book is really about how to, Prepare your ideas in a way that you can sell them back to the world to make a difference. And I love how it's done and how it's prepared in that book. So I would recommend it for anyone that has an amazing idea that they want to share with the rest of the world.
0: And it's humbling. my final question for you is what's your favorite city in the world?
1: Oh, Tim, I love Singapore. I think it's beautiful. And more than anything, I just find that everything works there. There's a winning formula. <laughs>
0: I can tell <laughs> how much you love it by how trip. quickly you answered that. <laughs> <laughs> it's thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to have you on the show. We really appreciate you taking time to be with us.
1: Thank you so much, Tim. I enjoyed the chat.
0: And that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with more human layer security insights in our next episode. But if you can't wait that long, you can visit our blog at tessian.com forward slash blog, where you'll find lots of amazing content, advice and tips. And if you enjoyed our show, please rate and review it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts.